Welcome to the Innovation Engine Podcast. I'm Will Sherlin, and on this week's episode, we'll be looking at innovation and the power of inquiry. Why, what if, and how might we have the power to transform your business? The five most important questions any business leader should know the answer to, and examples of billion-dollar companies that have been hatched simply by coming up with answers to seemingly simple questions. Here with us today to discuss all that and more is Warren Berger, journalist and author of, most recently, A More Beautiful Question, The Power of Inquiry to Spark Breakthrough Ideas. A More Beautiful Question was named one of Business Insider's 20 Best Business Books to Read this summer and received glowing blurbs from the likes of Daniel Pink and Eric Ries. Warren's writing on innovation and related topics appears frequently in publications like Wired, The New York Times, Fast Company, The Harvard Business Review, and The Wall Street Journal. He's also the author of Cad Monkeys, Dinosaur Babies, and T-Shaped People, Inside the World of Design Thinking and How It Can Spark Creativity, as well as Glimmer, How Design Can Transform Your World. Welcome to the podcast, Warren. Thank you. It's great to be here. So, Warren, let's kick things off today with the premise of your book, and it's that asking the right questions can lead to powerful business results. So how did you come to that conclusion that asking the right questions can really be transformative for organizations? Well, it came out of um, a previous book where I was uh, studying innovators, all kinds of designers, um, as well as entrepreneurs, uh, business leaders who, who seem to be innovating within their category. And um, I was looking for things they had in common, things that they, they all seemed to do. And one of the important things I observed was that they were all uh, really good at asking questions. They were really good at asking questions about the industry they were in or um, what customers really needed or what kind of a product was lacking out there and why hadn't someone created something that would do X or Y. So they, they seemed to be great at asking the questions that no one else was asking. And so that became something I, I got very interested in. For, for uh, that. It was something I sort of used a little bit in my previous book, but then I decided in, in this new book, A More Beautiful Question, that I would zero in on that and, uh, and really look at um, you know, the, the power of questioning and, and, and why, it seems to, uh, why it seems to have uh, an effect on business. And, and what I noticed was, as I, you know, as I did the research, was, was two things that it was in terms of uh, startup companies, uh, asking the right questions seemed to be uh, really critical uh, in terms of helping an entrepreneur come up with a, an idea or a, or a product or a service that was original and needed. Uh, questioning seemed to help them get at the, uh, the very core of, of what they were doing. So I, I thought that, that's pretty amazing, you know, that so many businesses start with a question. And then the other thing I noticed was that when you looked at established companies that have been around for a while, uh, they used questioning as a way to often to reinvent themselves or to, or just to be on top of, you know, what do we need to change now? You know, what, what, uh, what business are we in now that we weren't in before? So I found that for established companies, it was really important in terms of making sure they kept changing, they kept adapting, and they kept innovating. Okay, got it. So it can be very powerful, 
figuring out the right questions to ask and, and to set the stage for the rest of the podcast on the website for the book, which is a more beautiful question.com. You give your definition of what makes a beautiful question. So what is that definition? Yeah, I, I think of it, you know, it's, it's very subjective, but I think of a beautiful question as a, as a big, ambitious, uh, actionable question, you know, that can shift the way people think about something and that can even be a, a catalyst for change. So to me, a, a, a beautiful question um, can't be something like, you know, what color should we paint the walls this month? <laughs> you know, it has to be bigger than that. It, it has to be, and it has to challenge kind of um, the, some maybe challenge the, the current ways of thinking. Uh, anytime you look at the way you're doing something uh, as an organization and you say, why are we doing it this way? And what if we tried something different? Anytime you ask those kinds of questions, to me, you're asking beautiful questions. Okay, got it. And, and without giving away, you know, the whole premise of the book or, or, or all the information in the book, you recently wrote a piece for Fast Company uh, that was titled The Five Questions Every Company Should Ask Itself. So who, yeah. are, who are some of the people that you spoke with? Because it's a list of really pretty impressive names to come up with those questions. And what are those five questions? Well, uh, I, I talked to, uh, let's see, I talked to Keith Yamashita, uh, who's, a, who's a leading consultant in the business world. I talked to Clay Christensen, who's, uh, who's a really, you know, an, an amazing uh, Harvard Business School uh, consultant. Um, I talked to, what I wanted to do is talk to a lot of people who advise businesses about what kinds of questions are you are you telling people that they should they should be asking themselves and so the questions uh, more or less revolved around the they they tended to revolve around mission you know what is our what is our company really about you know that that seemed to be the the, the driving question that uh you know there were various forms of that but you know they they all felt that companies need to be continually asking themselves you know some version of the question, you know, why are we really here? What's our real purpose? You know, and Yamashita said, you know, that, that when you're trying to answer that question, sometimes you have to go back to your history and look at, you know, what was it that we started out doing? You know, what was the, what was the original thing we were doing that, uh, that, that, that got us excited at the very beginning of this company? So there's, there's various ways you can question yourself to sort of clarify your own mission. You know, and uh, and that was one of the key things. Um, uh, Christensen had an interesting qu question that was basically about you know um, it was it was a play off a question that Intel asked years ago the leaders of Intel, which was um, if if we left the company and new people came in tomorrow, what would they do? Would they do the same things we're doing? And um, it's an interesting question. It's just sort of like what if. What if we weren't around as the leaders, or what if I wasn't around as the leader anymore, and someone new came in tomorrow, uh, someone really smart, uh, what do you think they would do uh, that's different from what I'm doing? That's a great question for companies to ask themselves. The reason why it's important is because when you've been leading a company for a while and you've been there, you get kind of invested in certain things that uh, a new person coming in 
wouldn't be invested in. They'd look at it very coldly and say, does that make sense or doesn't it make sense? Does that policy make sense? Does that product make sense? And they would, because they're, they don't have these, um, they're not weighed down by these, you know, sense of, uh, of loyalty to something or invested in, 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 a, in a process or a product, they would be much more, um, they would look at it with, with a much more um, a cold calculating eye. And that's a good thing for, for company leaders to do every once in a while, to just sort of step away from their own kind of history uh, as a company. Uh, another great question that came up in that, uh, in that, among that batch had to do with the idea of, Thinking of your company as a as a cause and not just a company. Uh, one of the consultants, uh, Tim Ogilvie, told me that he thinks companies should ask themselves, you know, uh, what if this if, what if this was a cause and not a company? And uh, it's an interesting way to think about your company. And I think it's more important to think about that way to think that way now than it's ever been before. To think about Think about your company as a place where uh, both customers and your employees feel that there's a mission going on. There's a there's a sense of purpose, a higher purpose uh, that you have that that it's a cause that 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 they can be part of. Uh, that's really important now because people people have changed and you know they don't they don't just go to work for a company now just for a paycheck. You know, they, especially the talented people that you want to bring in to your company, they're going there for a number of reasons. They're coming to your company for a number of reasons. And one of them is that they want to feel good about working there. They want to feel that it's, that it's like a cause that they're part of. So I thought that was a great question. And then the last one I'll mention is um, uh, Eric Ries, the author of, of the Lean Startup books, and uh, he's just a, a guru on the whole idea of, of kind of uh, uh, being a, running your business in a way that you can quickly get products tested, get new ideas tested, and get them out to market. Uh, a very radical approach that's been embraced, especially in Silicon Valley, but a lot of other companies are looking at the value of this now. And, um, and Reese says the question that companies should ask themselves is, how do I make a better experiment? Interesting question because most companies are focused on how do I make a better product, right? And uh, or how do I how do I make a better service? How do I make a better offering to the public? Uh, Reese says that really you have to take a step back from that and ask yourself how do I set up a company where we can test ideas for products or services very quickly and early on so that we can be trying lots of ideas all the time. And then we can get to the best ones. We have, a, we have a system that allows us to figure out what works, what doesn't, and we can move on. If it doesn't work, try another idea. So to his, uh, his thinking, that's, that's the um, companies need to take a little bit of the, the focus off of, you know, uh, creating products and a little bit step uh, back a little bit and say, how do we create uh, a system of experimentation that will lead to better products? So those are the five, those are the, you know, those are the questions that I think, you know, basically everyone should be asking themselves in, in business. There's lots of other ones, you know, the, those are five that I happen to pick out from those leaders. But, you know, gosh, in the book, I have, you know, probably a hundred questions that, that business leaders uh, should probably be asking themselves. Okay. Got it. But ultimately the idea is to get to the, to the beautiful questions. So there are also not so beautiful questions. The art of questioning in and of itself is not necessarily going to be virtuous. You wrote a piece in the Harvard business review not too long ago 
five common questions leaders should never ask. So what's the counterpoint to the beautiful questions? What are some not-so-beautiful questions? Yeah, well, well, well what, the problem with not-beautiful questions is that they're questions that are usually disguised, uh, they're disguised as questions, but they're really oftentimes criticism or blame or, you know, um, there, there's a negative aspect to them. So that was, I, I picked out five that I thought were pretty common, but there's, there's endless varieties on that. There's endless variations on the, on the negative question. Um, you know, the, the, uh, this, a lot of this comes out of, um, uh, there's a school of thinking out there, which is very interesting, which I, I talked about in my book, but there's, there are whole books actually written about it. And it's a field called uh, appreciative inquiry. And um, one of the pioneers is, is, a, is a professor named uh, David Cooper Ryder. But it basically is, is um, built around the idea that um, if you ask questions that are rooted in, in positive, um, positive ideas and positive language, uh, they're going to be much more effective and more motivating and more powerful to people than questions that are rooted in negative ideas and negative language. So one of the uh, one of the questions that is it tends to be asked all the time that has uh, a negative uh, bias to it is uh, what's the problem here? What's wrong? What what what's what uh, what are, what are we doing wrong here? What's failing on us? Now, this is very common and logical for, for people to ask this question because, you, you, you know, you do want to try to identify um, problems and weaknesses and, and things that have gone wrong. But what Cooper Ryder points out is that about 80% of the time our questions are focused on a problem or, or uh, something that's gone wrong. And he said by having such a heavy focus on problems, we create sort of a negative um, – we create a negative sort of vibe within the company and, and a feeling that we're always talking about problems and we're always thinking about problems. And as he points out, you know, you, what you really want to do is you really want to get at those problems by starting with strengths. You know, so you want your questions to be strength-based. Like, um, you know, okay, what are we doing right that we could build upon so that we can solve some of these other issues we have here. So just by reframing the question a little bit, you know, you, you, you shift it from a negative to a positive, and that makes a huge difference in the way people within your organization react. They just react better. As human beings, we react better to a, positive, a positively worded uh, uh, challenge or question um, than we do to one that's entirely uh, focused on negative negative elements. You know, the the better way is to figure out a way to to sort of say, you know, how can we, how can how might we as a team work together to address whatever went wrong in this situation or whatever we need to do better in the future. Because a lot of times when there's a problem in a, in a in a company, it's usually not one person's fault anyway. There's usually plenty of blame to go around. So rather than focus so much on you know one person and one person to to zero in on, you know, it's better to uh, think of it as a more collaborative, uh, collaborative effort that you have to do. Okay, so let me ask you about something that you mentioned in that answer. You, you talked about asking, how might we do something? You've written about the power of, of questions like, what if, and how might I, or how might we? So can you share some examples from the corporate world of companies who have successfully employed, how might we, into their standard methodologies or processes? 
Yeah, in the case of how might we, that's a really interesting uh, uh, question or, or phrase that's used at the beginning of questions. Um, it goes back uh, a couple of decades with uh, Procter and Gamble, and um, and there was a consultant working with them who I talked to a lot in uh, in the book um, named uh, Dr. Min Bazader. And uh, at the time, he was working with uh, Procter and Gamble, and they had a big challenge in the soap category. They were um, a competitive product. Irish Spring was really um, was really uh, kind of kind of cleaning their clock, you know, and they they couldn't really compete. And Irish Spring had had been a huge success, and everyone associated it with freshness, with a fresh feeling, and and so. Um, uh, you know, Procter and Gamble was trying to figure out how to how to come up with a, another product that could compete against that. And at first, they were just imitating it. You know, they were just like doing a a product that had a similar stripe to it. You know, and and uh, it wasn't working. And then they they used this um, this brainstorming and questioning uh, technique to sort of say, you know. Um, First, they use the questioning, a lot of questioning to say, well, what is it that people really are, are, are like about Irish Spring and what are they really, what's really appealing to them? And well, they figured out that it was this idea of freshness, you know, the freshness of an Irish Spring. And, um, and so then they started to ask questions around how might we develop a product that appeals to people on that same level, that same freshness level. It has the same kind of visceral reaction with people. And it eventually led them to a very successful um, uh, competing product, uh, Coast, Coast Soap. So, um, but it was, it's interesting that uh, what, what Bazader discovered there, and this is sort of the early days of using this, this kind of questioning, um, what he discovered that if you worded your questions in a, in a brainstorming session or within a company, um, you know, think tank or whatever, if, if you worded your questions a certain way, it tended to open up people's thinking more. And this phrase, how might we, proved to be really powerful because what it was sort of saying is uh, that word, that key word in there is might, you know, because it was saying to people that are, thinking, that are working on the problem, might says to them, there's a lot of ways we could come at this. So it's wide open and almost anything is possible. So how might we do this? And how might we try that? And it basically opens up the, the, uh, the conversation. A lot of times people would say, instead they'd be asking, what are we going to do? You know, or how are we ever going to, you know, come up with a competitor? And uh, that sort of puts a lot of pressure on people. But by phrasing your, your, your brainstorming sessions around how might we, it just creates a nice open uh, language there. Uh, that has been since been that, that approach to questioning that how might we phrase has now been picked up by other companies. And uh, the, uh, the firm IDEO started using it a lot, the design firm IDEO. And then um, eventually Google, it made its way to Google, and they use it now. Uh, when they're trying to come up with ideas, and uh, Facebook and other companies have picked up on it, so it's just a very powerful way of of saying of of asking questions about new possibilities and new ideas. I recommend it to any company that start using that phrase. How might we uh, achieve this this goal? How might we tackle this particular problem we have? It even works on an individual level. You know, you can say, How might I do this change I want to do? in my uh, in my work or even in my life you know how might i go about it and it's uh, it's it's just a very powerful um uh questioning tool great i can see that and it, it, i guess part of the opening up possibilities also probably is the fact that well 
if you might do it, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're committing to it. You 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 might do it, but you exactly. also might not. And, yeah, and you want that a kind of um, openness at the at the early stages of. Um, of coming up with ideas and, and exploring possibilities. Now, at some point, you know, as I say with questioning, you know, the different questions are effective at different, uh, different levels. And, and at some point, you know, you want to move away from uh, the more open language towards, you know, basically, you know, questions that involve um, uh, how do we, how do we take the first step or how do we, how do we move the ball forward uh, starting now? You know, so you, you, you want to get from, uh, sort of the, the the kind of questioning that is very open-ended and very exploratory and sometimes very speculative. You know, what if we did this? Or you, know, you want to get from that to something that's more action-oriented at some point. Because as a business, obviously, it's not just about sitting around and speculating and coming up with great ideas. It's about executing, you know. So so you have to make sure your questioning moves in that direction toward toward getting um, getting things done at some point. Sure. So in that same vein, there are some great stories on the website for your book about companies that really began by looking to answer a simple question. Uh, one, yeah. of, one of my favorites was, why aren't the players urinating more, which led to the creation of Gatorade. Uh, yeah. So, do you have one or two favorite examples that you can share? Yeah, I mean that's one of my favorites. It was, it was, you know, basically, and the interesting thing was, it was a football coach who asked that question at, at the University of Florida, and you know, wondered why the uh, why the players were drinking so much water on the sidelines, and yet they didn't seem to have to go to the bathroom very much. And he was just curious about that, and eventually, you know, took that question to one of the uh, science professors at the, at the school, who who explained to him, you know, well, it's because the they're sweating so much and the water doesn't replace the electrolytes in their, in their body. But then the interesting thing was that professor then became intrigued with this idea. This is one of the powers that questions seem to have. You know, if someone raises a question, an interesting question, other people pick up on it and suddenly they make it, they want to answer the question or they want to figure out the puzzle. So uh, in this case, the professor then took, took over and he was saying, well, you know, what if, um, what if you could develop a liquid that replaced these electrolytes that did a better job than water of replacing these electrolytes. How, how might that, how might that work? Or how might I, how might I do something like that? And he went into the lab and he mixed up the, what ended up being Gatorade. So it's, it's really interesting that there are lots of companies like that, that began with a question, you know, Polaroid began with uh, a question from a, from a three-year-old girl. It was uh, the, the founder of the company, Edwin Land had been taking a picture of his uh, of his young daughter, and she wanted to know um, why do we have to wait for the picture? Because he told her, you know, well, well, now we have to send the film out. It's going to be a while before you ever see the the picture I just took of you. And she wanted to know why. Why do we have to wait? And that question got into Edwin Land's head, you know, and he basically started saying, yeah, that's a that's a really great question. Why do we have to wait? You know, what if we could? What if we could have the results right at the time we're taking the picture? And that became his obsession, and, uh, and it led to the Polaroid instant camera. And then nowadays, a lot of these um, tech companies that are uh, sort of, you know, the billion-dollar paydays that we're seeing all over the place, they, uh, many of them started with questions, you know, from Netflix, uh, which, which started with uh, the founder, saying, you know, why do I have to pay these late fees that Blockbuster charges me for my video rentals? What if, what if there was a better way to do, to do uh, rent, to rent movies? 
you know, that's, that was the origin of Netflix, to lots of these uh, companies like, uh, you know, Nest and Square and a lot of these tech companies, Airbnb, you know, they, they all, um, so many of them started with a question. Airbnb's question was, you know, why is it that so many people, when they come to town for the convention, there are so many people who can't get a bed, they can't get a hotel room, and then there are also all these people that have an extra sofa or an extra room in their apartment. Why, haven't, why hasn't someone put these two things together? And Airbnb did put them together, and, and they created a, new, a whole new uh, category. So it's really interesting to look at the tech world now, and uh, it almost became a, a, fun, uh, a fun endeavor for me to, to look at different startups and trace back, their or, trace back to their origin and see if there was a question back there, some form of a question that they were trying to answer. And more often than not, there was a question at the root of, of, their, of their existence. So you mentioned in an earlier answer uh, that the, the, the germ of a more beautiful question came when you were doing research for a previous book. I have to ask you about the title of your, of your book before that, which was Cad Monkeys, Dinosaur Babies, and T-Shaped People yeah. Inside the World of Design Thinking and How It Can Spark Creativity. So what are, yeah. what are Cad Monkeys, Dinosaur Babies, and T-Shaped People? Well, um, terms that are used in the world of design, okay. uh, and they're, they're, they're quirky terms. Um, a cad monkey is a negative term used for a designer who, uh, who uh, you know, basically um, works at a, at a computer screen all, all day and, and uh, uses a computer-aided or computer-assisted design. That's CAD. Okay. Uh, that's where you're basically designing everything on the computer. And, um, and the reason that's sometimes a little bit of a pejorative among some people in the design world is because they feel like uh, designers need to need to do more than just look at a computer screen that they really should get out there into the world and they should see if, if they're if they're especially if they're designing things for people in their lives you know they should see how people live and what people need and kind of get out there into the world so that's where cad monkeys come from and then um dinosaur babies is, a, is an interesting term that uh, uh came from the design uh, uh, designers at ideo and um the uh the term refers to when you when you create something as the creator, uh, you can never see, uh, you can, it, it always seems beautiful to you, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, um, you, you never can see that it's, uh, it's actually kind of, it may be actually kind of ugly. It may be a, it may be a baby dinosaur, but to you, it's a, it's a cute, uh, it's a very cute baby, you know? Right. So it's an interesting idea. And it, it has to do with the idea that, um, you know, you, you can't fall too much in love with your creations as a designer. You have to make sure they actually work and that they, uh, they're useful and they're, they're, they serve their purpose. Um, and then T-shaped people is, is an interesting term that's used uh, in the design world to describe people who, are, who have very diversified skills, but they, they usually are um, trained in one thing, and they're very strong in one thing, uh, and that is the base of the T. So if you think of a T, you know, the, 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 the base, the, the, the line that's going up from the bottom that is uh, the core skill a person might have. They might have been trained as a uh, as a, an engineer, you know, and so that's their that's the base of their T. But then in today's world, to be really good, you need to add on all kinds of other skills and expand your skill bit, your skill set, and that forms the top of the T. So you're you're both you both have a strong base in terms of your core skill, but then you have a broad top 
uh, in terms of all these other skills you pick up along the way. You know, maybe you learn you learn a little bit of design. You know, you learn a little bit of uh, uh, computer coding. You learn you know you learn these other skills that will complement that base skill that you have. Okay, got it. So get out there in the real world and experience how people use design. Your design may not be the most beautiful thing in the world, and and broaden that base of experience or expertise. Uh, that those all make sense, uh, and 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 all good words of wisdom. So we're we're running a little short on time here, Warren. Uh, any any parting words of wisdom or questions, maybe that you'd like to share with the audience on the importance of asking the right questions. Uh, I think that the first thing to keep in mind is that uh, understand yourself and and convey to others around you, especially if you're a leader in a company, make sure that people working for you and with you understand this, uh, that there is a, a great value in questions. I mean, that's the most important thing is to value questions because we're trained in school and oftentimes in, in the business world to think that questions are kind of a distraction, that they slow things down, you know, that they don't really matter that much, that every, the only thing that matters is the answers and the questions are just kind of an annoyance, you know. So the, the first thing is to do is to understand that the question is often the source of innovation. It's the, it's the thing that starts the journey. So therefore, it's very valuable. You could think of it as the first step, right? So if it's the first step, in some ways, it's the most important one. And so understand and appreciate the value of it and make sure the people you work with appreciate it. And once that, once you, have, uh, you appreciate the value of it, you're going to be more inclined to ask questions and to tolerate questions from others. And that's, that's really uh, a, huge, a huge thing that you want in order to have a culture, a working culture, where questions are, um, are favored and, and, and they're, they're, uh, you know, they're valued and people are, are willing to ask them. They're not afraid to ask them. And that's really that's the kind of a culture you want to have, especially today. Um, the other thing I would say to people is um, think about questioning as a as a a process that is forward moving. Um, it's not you don't want to go around in circles with your questions. You want to think of questions as uh, something that can lead you forward. So, for example, if you're tackling a problem, you you start out asking why why does this problem exist? Why hasn't anyone solved it before? Then you want to move ahead to what if, which starts to, you know, come up with possible solutions. You know, what if we tried this? What if we tried that? And eventually you want to get to how, you know, okay, how, how are we actually going to take the first steps? How are we going to take action? How are we going to prototype this thing? How are we going to test it? How are we going to see if it works? You know, mm-hmm. so if you think of questioning that way, it's not a static process and it's not a process that leads you around and around in circles. It's a, it's a process that can actually lead you forward and can help you make progress, uh, which is a really important way to, uh, to approach questioning. Okay, great. Great, great notes to close on. Some very tangible advice that people can take and uh, employ in their everyday work lives. Warren, thanks so much for joining us today. Great, great talk about the power of inquiry. It was great to be here, and I really enjoyed it. If you'd like to learn more about Warren Berger, you can visit his website at warrenberger.com. That's B-E-R-G-E-R. You can also follow him on Twitter at GlimmerGuy. The website for his book, A More Beautiful Question, is amorebeautifulquestion.com. On the book site, you can find a number of articles and anecdotes related to the art of questioning, as well as a number of freebies that can be tapped to ensure that you're asking yourself 
and others, beautiful questions. Thanks again to Warren Berger for joining us this week. And thank you for joining us this week. Don't forget to tune into next week's episode when we're excited to have Dr. John Kanegi on the podcast to talk about innovation and adaptive design. How businesses of all stripes can use the tenets of adaptive design to drive innovation. How a life-changing experience led to the formation of adaptive design and the five characteristics of great adaptive leaders. Thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week.